The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, so beginning with your outline, number one, first point this morning, we are to search, and not only search, research, study, and dig for the hidden treasures of God's Word. So, uh, going back to verse 52, Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Um, So Jesus is talking about, I've been sharing with you some parables, and some of the truths I've been sharing with you are really old, but I have given to them new meaning or new application. So he makes a comment, uh, therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. What is a scribe? Well, the application would be for you and I, but the scribes began as a noble calling under the leadership of a man named Ezra. Uh, There's a book called Ezra. It's in the Old Testament. And this was at the time when the children of Israel had been in Babylon for 70 years and uh, God had disciplined them for idolatry. Then he said, okay, after 70 years, I'll bring you back. But it wasn't just physically returning to the land. They needed to spiritually repent, which means to return, uh, back to the heart of God. So the Lord raised up a man named Ezra, uh, and he, he kind of formed this uh, group of people that would be called scribes. Their purpose was to study God's Word and then teach it to all of their tribes and then to apply its truth uh, to all of the people. There's a wonderful scripture, and I put it in your notes. And by the way, I've got some of the best scriptures uh, in my notes today, some of my favorites, and I'm sure there are some of your favorites as well. But if this is a new one for you, I want you to not only note it in your notes, but uh, mark it so that you go into your Bible and read the book of Ezra, and then Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. That should be circled, underlined, or highlighted in your Bible, because it's a very, it's a great uh, message for all of us who are modern disciples. So let's read this scripture out loud together. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his students and rules, or statutes and rules in Israel. So he was to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So I love that. Number one, he set his heart. So may you and I set our hearts to study the law of the Lord, which is the Word of God, but not just to study it like for information and knowledge so that we can, you know, answer questions in a test. That's just the beginning. Set our heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. That is the purpose of studying the Scriptures. That is the purpose of having, and every child of God should have a daily devotion. Every one of us, you are responsible for your walk with God. You are, we are all accountable to our Father in heaven. And He wants us not to just get saved, which means you're born again, which is great. You're going to heaven, but it also, you know, leaves you as a baby. 
And it is not the purpose of our Father to leave us as babies uh, throughout our whole lives. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. We're to grow up. We're to grow to the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? By studying His Word and then secondly, doing it. So we're studying it so that we can do it and, and live it and then learn to apply its truths and teachings in our lives. Well, where do we teach it? The first place you begin is always in your own home. Let it be something that is discussed uh, within your, with your spouse, within your home, with your children, with your sons and daughters. And I also want to say that the more we study God's Word in order to obey it, I mean, we're, we're learning new concepts, new truths, new principles, new insights, new realities of the kingdom of heaven, and as we apply them, as we live them, and as we do them, the, the greater that we do that, the greater the spiritual realm begins to surround our lives. Can I hear an amen on that? I mean, seriously, you can go from faith to another level of faith. You can go from one glory or level of experience of the glory of God to another level of the glory of God. And so it's not just that the Holy Spirit is in us, but He is also upon us, and the Holy Spirit is around us. I mean, the fair way to describe it is you are glowing with the glory of the Lord. If you could see in the Spirit, we literally, we, the, the light of the glory of the Lord is shining brilliantly, and, and through your skin, this is just a tent, the real you is the Spirit, and the real you cannot even be contained on the inside of this body, but I, think, I believe we, we are, in essence, glowing as we walk. So that means wherever we go, the more we're walking in the Word of God and in the will of God, and, and the more you begin applying and doing and obedience of things of God, you begin to be like, um, you carry the very realm of heaven, the glory of the Lord, and it literally impacts wherever you go. It, whether it's in your, you know, whatever room you enter into or people, and, and I'm, I'm wanting to encourage you as uh, this is the experience of believers as they walk and grow in the Lord, you walk into a room and all of a sudden p people feel and sense and, uh, the Spirit of God. Can I hear an amen? You guys know what I'm talking about. You see it, you know it, you sense it, and it can grow. It can become more intense in our lives. And literally, it can be like, um, at times, like, like uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is like, you know, rushing mighty wind. Well, it's like a little whirlwind around you, that wherever you go, it kind of stuff starts swirling around as you walk in, as you're smiling and pronouncing peace, because we have been given, this is our role, is to go into the world, and because of what Jesus did, he defeated the enemy, defeated the devil, we get to proclaim peace to all these people who are burdened, and they're, they, they're battling darkness and depression and anxiety, and they're infiltrated by all this demonic nonsense or whatever, and we come in and we go, peace, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, it changes the very environment and the places where we go. So look with me in this next scripture. It's another beautiful one. It's one of my favorites. I'm, I'm you know, giving you guys some of the, oh, some of the best ones in, in my 
Uh, scripture notes, th- this is a big one. So Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. Let's read this out loud together. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Man, I love that verse. You, you guys like that verse? You familiar with that verse? Do you have that verse highlighted in your Bible? Um, let me tell you something about our Father in heaven. Uh, he likes secrets. He likes hiding some things. Uh, and, and just like the parables, both, uh, you know, hidden and revealed, guess what? Creation in the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the trees and the flora and the fauna and the animals and, and the whole thing of creation, God is both hidden and at the same time he is Revealed. It just depends on how you look at it. Because everything in nature is like a, a window through which you can see spiritual truth and reality. Romans chapter 1 says that we learn from creation the power of God. I mean, it's so vast, the universe, we haven't seen the end of it. I mean, we're in modern times. We're in the year 2018. We have powerful telescopes that can look out on the edges of galaxies, far, but we still haven't found the end of it. But the Bible says God spans the universe in his right hand. He's, he's looking at it like this. How big is God? You learn not only how big he is and how powerful it is, he flung the stars into existence. <laughs> there's, there's one star um, that is so big. How big is it? It's so big that the earth, which is 93 million miles away from the sun, you could put the, our sun and the earth and its orbit inside of this one star. Is that, is that, does that blow anybody's mind, you know, huh? It's amazing. So not only is God big, he's powerful, and not only is he powerful, but he is creative and he, he both reveals things in nature and hides things in nature, depending on how, how you look at it. But I want to say this. He has given us the ability. He goes, you want to know my secrets? Do you want to learn? And that's what Jesus is downloading to the disciples is the secrets, the inside information, if you will, of how everything works. Not only in the natural realm, but the corollary in the spiritual realm. The glory of kings is to search out a matter. So God's kind of like, I'm not just going to give you all this cool stuff. you got to want it. Do you want it? Do you want to know it? Well, if you're really serious with me, then you got to seek me. you got to search for me. you got to dig. And the Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who, what? Diligently seek him. I'm at a time and I'm at a place in my life where I am... I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my whole life. I am going deeper with God. I am learning new things. I am studying new knowledge, new information. I'm applying new principles of obedience in my life. I'm going deeper with God, and my heart is on fire for the Lord. I'm just saying. And basically, I want, to be, I want all of those who hang out with me to go with me and be like me, and let's search out the stuff that God has. We're the royal family, by the way. You, when you get born again, you get washed in the blood 
of the king of kings and his righteousness is given to you. His holiness is given to you. His character is given to you. His nature is given to us. And we are literally born into his family. And he goes, I want to share my kingdom with you. We are kings. Therefore, we have the privilege and the right to search out the matters of the deep things of God. Now, Jesus says, as I do this, as I've been sharing with you, uh, we're bringing new out of the old. God dispenses both, listen, old things things that we have known, gone before, and then new. New principles are based on old truths. Now, there was uh, somebody that's a very, he's a good guy, you know, he's a good brother in the Lord, he's a pastor, he's got a, you know, if we're a mega church, he's at another level of mega, and very popular. And he recently said something, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be hard on him, or critical, too critical, um, but he said something that kind of, you know, he's trying now to walk back, which I think is good. But anyway, he basically said, we don't really need so much, I'm paraphrasing, so it's not accurate exactly, but we don't need the, the Old Testament, don't worry about the Old Testament, and all that old stuff, and the wars, and it's all confusing, and people don't need that, you just stay with the New Testament, just stay with the resurrection. So I do understand that he wants to be relevant to our times and our culture, and there are many things that people don't understand if you don't have the background, the, the understanding of the Old Testament, but we cannot say, leave off the Old Testament, don't teach from the Old Testament, don't read the Old Testament, don't talk about it to anybody. We can't do that. Everything, in fact, you know, he, he, yes, he's right, you want to focus on the resurrection, but the resurrection has no meaning as an event that brought the kingdom of heaven to the earth if you cut it off from the entire Old Testament that predicted it, prophesied it, and laid it out as to who it would be, when it would happen, and through whom it would come. You hear what I'm saying? It's very, very important. So, listen, uh, new principles are always based on old truths. In fact, the whole New Testament is basically a commentary on the old. So even in the new, you can't get away from the old because it's explaining the old with new understanding. Whenever there is, you know, somebody says, hey man, there's a new doctrine, a new teaching, whatever, be careful. The new can never contradict the old. It can build on it. It can go from one level to another level or understanding or application, but it always has to be founded in the old. The new without the old is mere novelty. But the old is no good if there is not some new application. It can just turn, if it's only the old, then it gets religious, traditional, outward, uh, stiff, legalistic, and it's not healthy. So let me give you one more scripture. There's another one of my favorites, Jeremiah 33, 3. And I'm sure that many of you, this is a a very meaningful scripture to you. Some of you, maybe it's your life verse. But let's read this out loud together. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now, this time I'm quoting it. I usually I teach out of the New King James. This particular verse is the translation out of the ESV, uh, which is a, another very good translation. Some of you already have the ESV. 
But in the King James, it says, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So people are like, oh, that's cool. God, I want you to show me great and mighty things. But I love how the ESV translates that word mighty in a little bit different way. There's another word, because the Hebrew is so deep and so layered and has so many meanings. But God is saying, and it really applies to the circumstances of what was happening in Jeremiah's life, that God was saying to him, hey, Jeremiah, my son, my prophet, call to me. Call on me now, and I will answer you. And I will show you and tell you the great hidden things that you have not known. Now, let me share with you the the circumstances where God gave this great promise. Jeremiah is a prophet. He's been prophesying the word of the Lord, and the word that God gave to him was, tell the king uh, that, you know, they need to repent. The king didn't repent. Tell him to stop worshiping idols, and they weren't doing that. And finally, he said, tell the king, it's too late now, I'm letting the enemies of Israel come in, and they're going to capture you and flatten you. Uh, and then, but then after you get, you know, disciplined, because you won't let me protect you or let me anywhere near you, so you've opened the door for the enemy to come in, but after that happens, I'm going to come because you're going to repent finally, and you're going to call on me. I'm, I'm going to come and deliver you, so now give them that word. Well, all the other prophets, Jeremiah was the only one saying that. All of the other prophets, uh, you know, were unanimous in saying, don't listen, king, to Jeremiah. He's giving you bad news. That's not true. Here's what I say. Thus saith the Lord, we're good. Even though they're compromised, even though they're worshiping other idols, even though a lot of immorality is going on and people aren't walking the talk or talking the walk. And they said, no, it's okay. It's all good. God knows. God understands. We're working on it. It's all going to be good. Prosperity. The Lord says, prosperity and peace forever. And they didn't like Jeremiah. And Jeremiah got tired of telling the king what the Lord told him because he's the only one telling it. And he goes, nobody listens to me and nobody likes me. It's not a popular message. And then the king, because he didn't like Jeremiah, he said, look, every 99% of the other prophets say, I'm good. And you're the only guy that bugs me and says bad things, so he threw him in prison. Not, and the prison was just a hole in the ground. At the bottom of the prison was wet mud that literally Jeremiah the prophet was thrown in there, and then he sank up to his waist in mud. So he finally he said to God, you know what, I'm not going to tell your word anymore. I'm done. Find somebody else because I'm doing what's right. I'm telling the truth like you told me. And what do I get for it? I'm thrown into this dark, dungy, you know, place, and it's a pit, and it's mud, and what good is it? So I'm not going to say it anymore. So God goes, okay, whatever. And then Jeremiah later, he finally, he can't stand it because he hears outside. They keep saying everything's cool, everything's good, everything's prosperity, everything's peace forever. And he goes, no, 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 no. And finally, the word of God came up within him, and it, he said, I could not help but speak the word of the Lord. It burned like fire in my bones. So he spoke to the Lord. And finally, God heard Jeremiah down in the pit, down in the darkness, down in the dungeon, half covered in mud. And this is when God dropped Jeremiah 33 on him. And I say that because there may be some of you here today that you go, man, 
I, okay, that's why I'm here at this church. That's why I'm plugged in. That's why I'm doing Bible studies. And I, I made a decision that I'm not just going to monkey around anymore. I'm going to get serious. I'm going to seek the Lord and honor the Lord. And, and I'm starting to actually walk in obedience. And there's stuff that I've repented of and dropped off. And man, ever since I did that, all hell has broken loose. And everybody's against me, and every, nobody likes me and my family, and they don't like what I'm saying. They don't even appreciate how I'm living, and it's gotten worse for me, and they've, they've isolated me, and I'm alone, and I'm in this dark place, so what good is it that I'm doing all of this? If you feel like that, and the enemy is going, yeah, look, and by the way, the devil will always make this deal. The moment you stop pressing into the Lord, he goes, I'll back off. And the birds will come out, the sun will come out, it'll be all, whoo. I'll leave you alone. That's the deal the devil always makes. And you're going, why am I doing this? It was in that moment that God spoke to Jeremiah and he said, call me, ask me. I will answer you. But what I will tell you is great. I'm going to tell you hidden things you don't know that are going on. We do not always see what God is doing behind the scenes. Can I hear an amen on that? They, have no, they had no idea, those prophets, when they were eating from the king's table and celebrating every night, what was coming down, and that they not only would pay, their wives were going to pay, their children were going to pay, their nation was going to pay for their compromise spiritually and lying to the king and walking absolutely in darkness. It, the, reality and history hit them like a truck. God said, I want you to call to me. I'm going to tell you some things you don't see, and they certainly do not see. He invites us to call on him, trust in him. He said to Jeremiah, hang in there. Just keep saying the truth. Keep teaching my word. Keep pressing in. And here's ultimately why. I'm I'm going to share with you, Jeremiah, what's going on behind the scenes that nobody knows. The king doesn't know. The administration doesn't know. It will happen in the future, but I I promise you this. Basically, what God told Jeremiah is, if you hang in there, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Be faithful. Be obedient. Walk in my spirit and in truth, because I'm telling you, son, the day of your vindication is coming. The hour when you will be vindicated before the king, before all of those other false, they will be exposed as liars, as false prophets, and everyone will say, they were, they were lying to us, and you alone told us the truth. And that's when the people will repent, and that's when I'm going to pour out my spirit upon them, and then a genuine revival will happen as they return back to the land. Hallelujah. So, I want you to know, those of you that have, you know, I know that there are people, men and women, who have decided to press into the Lord, you are discouraged right now because you haven't seen any results or you don't see any outward signs of, you know, things getting better. In fact, it probably looks worse. I want you to know that that verse is for you. That is the word of the Lord for you. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep pressing in. Be faithful. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. You will be publicly on earth, not just in heaven when we get rewarded, publicly on earth. He is saying you will be vindicated 
and everybody will know you were right. You made the right choice. You spoke the truth. You stood for the marriage. You stood for your kids. You stood for the family. You stood for righteousness. You stood for the kingdom of heaven, and you were right, and you will be vindicated. Amen. All right, let's go on to the next uh, section of verses. Sometimes the miraculous is hidden in the normal scenes of daily life. Now, this is interesting. So after all this teaching, you know, kind of uh, secrets of the kingdom of heaven through the parables, it says in verse 53, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, Miriam? And his brothers, aren't they James or Jacob, Joseph, Simon, Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So we find now Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth. Um, you have to remember, Jesus was a lifetime member of his own small local synagogue in Nazareth. And now he re-engages there in the local synagogue, and once again he is found teaching and sharing and reading the Scriptures and commenting on it. But when he does it, he does it in such a way, it's astonishing. Everybody is absolutely amazed. And two things amazed his listeners, his words and his works. Not only what he was saying, but how he was saying it that impressed all of the crowds. So that kind of got people asking questions. Where did he get this wisdom from? And where did these supernatural powers come from? Isn't he from a local family uh, with very humble origins? We've watched him grow up. We know his father, his mother, his brothers, his sisters. So it should be noted here that Joseph and Mary, after Jesus was born at the virgin birth, uh, if you'll notice here, they had other children. You notice that? other brothers and other sisters. So the family continued. Uh, they were in many ways a normal Jewish family in the first century Galilee. But when they see all of this, they, they're offended. Uh, do you guys hear something? Is it just me? I hear a popping. You can't hear it? Yeah. Okay. It's a little, it's a little popping noise that's driving me nuts. <laughs> it stopped. Lord, thank you for healing us. In Jesus' name. Okay, where was I? Okay, a normal family, um, and they're offended at him. They said, wait a second. For 30 years, we knew this guy, Yeshua, and he didn't, he didn't do miracles. He didn't do anything supernatural. Unlike some of the apocryphal, uh, you know, books that say he did miracles when he was little and dazzled his friends, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not give us any indication. I, I don't think Jesus did any miracles until the wedding at Cana. It wasn't until he was baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit came upon him and then, boom. 
So now there, he goes back to Nazareth. He starts teaching with power and with authority. And then miracles, healings, deliverances start taking place. And they're going, wait a second. We know this guy. He was completely normal for 30 years. And all of a sudden, all of this. And so I understand that they could be amazed by that. And where did it come from? But what I don't understand is how they, they, they took offense at him. They were offended. Why? Because he, what's so special about him? Uh, we're, you know, he's just like us. He should be normal. And what it really shows me is, you know, the people can, they get offended when all of a sudden, let's say, you start seeking the Lord more seriously and you get more, uh, you know, passionate about your relationship with God. I, I will tell you this, and this will be the normal experience of those who begin pressing into the Lord, making new discoveries, having new experiences, falling deeper in love with the Lord, and, and new things are beginning to happen in your life, and other people suddenly get offended. They were fine with you when you went to Bible study and you took your notes and you were nice and you were quiet and you didn't talk about it. And then all of a sudden now things are happening and you're saying, man, I'm at God's answering my prayers and I'm meeting in the Lord and he's leading me and he's guiding me. And they're going, hey, hey, have you ever had somebody be offended at that? Familiarity breeds contempt. As long as you stay normal, they're good with that. The moment something supernatural or extraordinary or deep or, well, what they're basically saying is, what makes you so special? Well, there's nothing necessarily special about me. I'm just opening my heart to the wisdom of God and to the will of God and to the Spirit. And man, he, it's just coming in like a flood. That's all that it is. But I just want you to note uh, there are some, maybe those who are closest to you, your friends who will be offended when you start going deeper into the river of God. So just know that, be warned of that, but at the same time realize, here's what the, the people of Nazareth did not realize. Jesus was supernatural the whole 30 years. He seemed normal. That whole time he was the son of God. The whole time he was the Messiah. The whole time he was the chosen of God. It's just that it suddenly came out and it was revealed. And this will also be your experience when all of a sudden, God, finally, you have a breakthrough, the eye, your eyes are open, and you see, wow, God, that was God. He, this, you can't explain these circumstances. It all fell together where you know it was God, and you have this breakthrough. You'll have this experience. All of a sudden, you will look backwards over your recent life, and all of a sudden, you'll start seeing your recent past in a new way. It'll be like, so that's why I met that person at that time. That's why we had that meeting. That's what happened when all of a sudden, when God has a breakthrough, you look back and you realize what seemed normal at the time, God was actually putting you right where you needed to be at the right place at the right time, setting you up for a glorious breakthrough in the spirit. Hallelujah. So that will also be a common experience. So truly the miraculous can be hidden in the normal of our daily lives. Okay, let's go to this uh, last lesson, which is the first story of chapter 14. 
And I'm going to call this the hour Satan began losing control. <laughs> oh, this is, I don't know why, this is funny to me. I mean, the story's not funny. It's about John the Baptist getting his head chopped off. So that's not funny. But what is kind of funny is that the enemy is, he, he, he makes this play and he reveals uh, that he's losing. By going after John the Baptist and having him uh, beheaded, the enemy has, he's played his final card. And I literally, from this moment forward, it's a game changer, game over. Because now Jesus will grow in boldness and in confidence and in glory and the miraculous and victory after victory all the way to the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. It's kind of like when (laughs) a coach on the sideline is is losing the game. He's yelling at his team. You've seen him. They take the headset off and they throw it on the ground. And he's yelling and screaming at the quarterback and calling him names. And finally, the coach runs out onto the field. He's totally lost it. He throws the quarterback out and he wants to run the play on the field. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. No, you can't. No. That's what's happening. The devil has lost it. He's, he's, he's run onto the field, and it, it basically he's exposed. But anyway, verse 1 of chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. This is Herod talking about Jesus. Herod beheaded John the Baptist. And we're going to read about why he did it in the following verses But when Jesus shows up and now explodes with signs and wonders and miracles, Herod's first thought is, the guy I killed, that prophet guy, I knew I shouldn't have killed the prophet of God. He's come back and he's doing all these miracles. He's he's afraid. He's terrified, convicted. And here's the reason. Verse 3, for Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. So he divorced his wife, and then he married his brother Philip's wife, made her divorce her husband, so he could be the king, and he could have the woman that he goes, I want what I want, when I want, how I want it, and he got her. And because John had said to him, is it, it is not lawful for you to have her. So John the prophet said, that's adultery, that's lust, that's sin, you're in trouble with God. He spoke the truth. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people, the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet, and he was. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Translation, mom, who hated John the Baptist, conviction against her, telling her that she was in sin, has her own daughter do a seductive dance as you can only imagine, before her husband. So she's having her daughter do that with her husband. It's just totally wrong on every level. And therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask, up to half the kingdom, whatever you want, woo! And then, so she, having been prompted by her mother to do the dance in the first place, the way she did it, said, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry He didn't want to do it. And he goes, oh, man, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, which is odd and disgusting. And then she brought it to her mother. 
And then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and, went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. So this is bizarre. I mean, this is the worst, uh, worse than any soap opera of modern times. It's a story of infidelity, divorce, political intrigue, jealousy, spite, revenge, lust, cold-heartedness, violence, and revenge, and immorality, and I'm not talking about modern politics. <laughs> this was happening then, and it happened with John the Baptist. And so uh, when this happened, and John had been in prison because he spoke of the truth. Um, this, I, I, what I want you to see here is that Herod's lust, and this is the world. I don't like my wife. I like that girl. And I have power and authority, so I'm divorcing you. And you divorce him. Now, you come, you're my wife. Well, that's the basis of the marriage. And then the daughter does this seductress thing in front of him, and then she goes, I don't like that prophet telling me and poking me in the chest that I am in sin. I want his head on a platter. And the daughter's in on it, and all of this weirdness comes, and the end of the day is murder. So I realize I've come to the end of my time, but I want to make a very, um, uh, just the Lord put this on my heart uh, as we close. In fact, I want you to close your Bibles. We're, we're done with the the study. Now we're to the final application and the final prayer. Um, I want to connect uh, lust, adultery, uh, sin, and pornography, which our culture, man, it is now, it's an invasion. It's, it's an invasion that can reach the littlest and the youngest, let alone the oldest. And it's a problem. So what I want to say is that lust, immorality, and pornography that have invaded is, is inside of the church, many battling and struggling with it. What I want you to realize, here you are, you're in church, here's the Word of God, here's the truth. I want to say, no, man of God, no woman of God, you can't do whatever you want. <laughs> Bottom line, period. We are accountable to God. And I want to say it's one, okay, I'm saved, I've repented, you know, but I just struggle with this or that, and, and it can go on for a very long time, you're struggling. But I want you to know that um, it is a very thin line to start with, you're, you're opening windows of your soul to demons when you let that stuff in your brain. It changes you, we now know it changes you psychologically, chemically physiologically, you're addicted. Yes, it's a strong addiction. And then it can go from just that to murder. And all these shows that they have all the time, well, yeah, he was messing around, but then he had two lives going. And then the next thing you know, nobody knew and he was going to church. And then all of a sudden, for he, he, you know, instead of divorcing, even on that bad level, on a moral level, he goes and shoots this guy or that woman or what, and it goes to murder. There is a spirit. There's something demonic about it, and so it needs to be recognized, it needs to, and, and it needs to be delivered from so that we can walk in truth and holiness and integrity, that your spirit, mind, and body can be unified so you can live in peace and freedom. Can I hear an amen on that? So let's all stand, shall we? And I'm going to ask you to lay hands on one another. And I'm not going to ask, you know, people to raise their hands 
uh, let's just say it's pervasive enough we all need to pray. <laughs> Everybody, every man, every woman, man, you know, and you know, you know, it's just too, too obvious. It's never, the world has never had such access. And the price uh, to those who know the Lord and walk with the Lord is so deep and it's so steep. Um, and boy, the enemy, once he has you, then he, he uses it and he, he destroys. And I'm telling you, you're, you're battling a spirit that it's just like that to go from, uh, you know, lust to murder. It, it, it's, it's all connected. It needs to be divinely broken. So, Father, let's pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. We come before you as a congregation, and we don't want to just read about King Herod and his lust for this wife, Herodias, and the daughter that did this seductive dance, and it's knowledge and information without living it and applying it to us today. And we confess, being in the house of the Lord, that we live in a time and an age and in a culture where lust and immorality and pornography and, and the, you know, the stuff that they did up in the uh, hills and the, the high places to their gods and goddesses, and then the sacrifice of the children, the whole lot of it is nothing has changed. And we confess our sin, and we repent of our sin, and we beg not only for forgiveness, but Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would come into your house, into this house, and into these people's lives, and into their minds, and into their homes, and Lord, that you would deliver us from evil. We recognize the devil and Satan and the demons and the lies, and we do not want to give him one more day, not one more inch of ground, because through this, marriages are destroyed, lives are destroyed, uh, generations are destroyed. And therefore, Lord, root it out. We're inviting a work of the Holy Spirit. Come in with your blazing, burning, powerful torch, lamp, and, and reveal it, Lord, expose it, let us, you know, bring it out and, and lay it on the altar, and then, Lord, be changed. We want to be transformed. We want our minds renewed so that we can walk in integrity and in honesty and in righteousness and in truth and be set free so that we can really grow into maturity and not remain little immature babies that are tossed to and fro with everything that's going on in this world. And therefore, prepare the way for the true, powerful, mighty, fiery revival that you so desire passionately to bring. We agree together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.